Christ Central, good morning to you once again. We've come to the end of the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Let me read this for us. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. Electronic cars and phones have to plug in and charge or they die. Our human bodies need food, drink, and sleep or they die. The people of God, people of God who belong to God, know God, have the life of God. They have to pray. They cannot help but pray. Or they die. This is the teaching of James. Chapter 20, he mentions saving someone from death. Death, life from death. Life or death issues. These are actually decided by prayer. Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, any and every child of God cannot help but pray. And this is how Jesus comes and fills your life when you pray, when you call upon him. And it is his very presence and power that is unleashed by prayer. So Jesus comes to you in prayer and his presence and power is unleashed to meet a hurting world by prayer. And there is breathtaking, world-changing power promised for his followers by Jesus when he said, you will do greater works, greater works than he. Because prayer knows no bounds. No social distancing can eliminate and stave off prayer. The power and the effects of prayer crosses every boundary of space and time, geography, economy, ethnicity, culture, science, and spirituality. So James here is specific, practical and so insightful about prayer. And mind you, he is instructing us to pray to his once dead brother. That's right. The author was the brother of Jesus Christ, whom he calls the Lord in chapter one, verse one. What better testimony could there be about the true identity and the work of Jesus Christ? But today, let me just unpack verse by verse. Might go back and forth a little bit here and there, but unpack verse by verse as James teaches us about praying to Jesus. Verse 13. If anyone among you, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray. So if you are suffering, if you are sick in verse 14, 
What should you do? Pray for yourself. We move on to verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Pray for yourself. Second, pray with the church. Call on the elders of the church. Now, certainly this does not mean you should only call on elders. We have eight godly, wonderful men who love, love Jesus and love you, this church. But this just means call your representative leaders. Call your small group leader. Call a deacon. Call the pastoral staff if and when you suffer and are sick. Third, James instructs us in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And the Lord will raise him up. Third, pray with faith or the prayer of faith. Now this cannot mean that you have absolute fervent certainty, that you're just filled with confidence or you like get into this emotional crazy state where you're just so sure that God has to or God will do this. This is not what it means to pray with faith. And it cannot mean that you don't have any doubts. Prime example, Mark chapter 9, the father of a demon-possessed boy comes to Jesus, tells Jesus about how his boy, since his young, young childhood, has been harassed and tormented and terrorized, hurting himself. And Jesus asks the father, do you believe? Do you have faith? Do you know what the father replied? He basically said, I do but please help my unbelief. The father says to Jesus, I do have some faith, but I do wish I had more. Can you help me with my uncertainties? Can you give me more faith? And do you know what happens next? Jesus heals and sets free his demon-possessed boy. You see, that was enough faith. That was enough faith. You see, who you pray to Who you get to pray to is far more important than how much faith you have when you pray. Fourth, funny little mention in verse 14. Not only should you pray with faith, back to verse 14, anoint or pray with oil. Now, is this just a symbolic demonstration or is there more significance to it? Throughout the Old Testament, oil, oil was a sign of the very Spirit of God. It was a sign of the Holy Spirit. But also oil was commonly used as medicine. Oil was a commonly applied medicine. So praying with faith or the prayer of faith does not mean to bypass or replace all medicine. Prayer supplements medicinal uses. In fact, it is praying people, Christian people who founded hospitals And it is a bunch of praying people right now who fill our hospitals overflowing today whom we ought to pray for earnestly. So yes, we can pray for divine, supernatural, miraculous intervention from God and apply medicinal cures as well. That's what James is teaching. Pray with faith and anoint, apply oil. So if there's somebody on the TV screen who's stretching out his hand and he's commanding and demanding and promising that your coronavirus is going to go away, bypassing all medical attention or care, but your money is welcome, that man is not really praying to God, but he's praying upon you. 
He's preying upon the most weak and vulnerable. And of course, there will be no medical reports, usually not, to attest that any healing has actually happened. Pray for yourself. Pray with the church. Call upon the leaders, the representative leaders of the church to pray for you. Pray with faith. Pray with oil. Fifth, pray with confession of sins. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed. Sickness can be awful. Of course, it's always awful, but it can be more awful when it goes way too long. It can scare you. Completely wipe you out. But it can be used to make you look up to God. It can be used to make you look up to God. Until you and I get sick, sometimes we feel like we're invincible, that we're never going to die. But when we do get sick, it may be used to have us think more soberly, humbly, and seriously about the state of our souls before God whom we will meet face to face one day. A good friend of mine, chaplain, Air Force chaplain, Hank Kong, whom I used to work with, pastor with, my first full-time pastorate ministry over in Virginia at Christ Central Presbyterian Church, met up with him in South Korea about a, about a month ago, and he was telling me that he felt something was wrong in his chest, like a muscle pull, something was off. And he got testing done there in, on the military base in South Korea. Then he got another series of tests in South Korea. All the records came back. You're clean. There's nothing wrong. But Chaplain Ham knew something was off. And so he persisted. And they flew him all the way out to Hawaii. And in the third series of tests, they discovered you need double bypass heart surgery. And he was healed. He was healed. <laughs> Listen. When you and I get sick, really sick, we ought to pay attention. We ought to examine. We ought to research and probe. We ought to be all the more spiritually alive and sensitive and aware and even pray to God, God, is there something in me, spiritually speaking, that is not right with you? Now, I'm not saying every sickness is directly correlated or caused by some specific sin, but it can be. It can be. See, you get real ulcers because you don't take breaks, you overwork, and you're greedy. You might get throbbing, consistent headaches because you worry too much. There's all kinds of physical ailments and breakdowns because you stay angry, bitter, don't forgive, and you replay a lot of past hate. Addictions, yeah, addictions. They do show up in the medical reports. They show up in our hearts, show up in our lungs. They destroy our livers. And what sin does, the spiritual issue of sin, is that even while it may be fun, and fulfilling for a while always disappoints in the end. Sin always deprives, drains. It is a life taker. The wages of sin is death, never eternal life. And so what we call psychosomatic ailments or illnesses so often have spiritual causes. Spiritual causes. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 the author wrote, 
A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Notice how your heart, your heart can be medicinal, but a broken, crushed spirit can actually dry up, drain, make your bones weak. Chapter 18, verse 14, Proverbs 18, verse 14. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? The biblical authors inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit, know that your physical condition is so often in tandem and in sync with your spiritual condition. So if and when you are sick, take time, pay attention, research and probe, and pray and ask God, are there sins here that I ought to really confess and turn away from? You know, I've seen and rejoiced when a spouse confesses his or her sins to the spouse. I know you might be afraid of the wreckage it might bring, or the response that that might elicit. And it may hurt for a while, but oh, the healing that can bring to your marriage, the healing literally to your physical bones, your countenance and mood and outlook on life. Oh, it's very real. When sick, pray with confession of sins when appropriate. Verse 16, now it mentions here that the prayer of a righteous person The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then James goes on to give the example of the Old Testament prophet, Elijah, whose prayer stopped the rain for over three, well, three and a half years to be exact. And then when he prayed again, God started and actually started the downpour of rain once again. Verses 17 and 18. And you might be tempted to do you might be tempted to dismiss right away. Well, powerful signs and wonders, effectiveness like that from someone's prayer life. Of course, that only happens to Old Testament prophets. I think in one vein, you are right. You are correct. But notice what James says in verse 17. Elijah, whose nature like ours, his nature was like ours. Now, why would he say that? Why would James add that here in the New Testament? Oh, it is more than to suggest that the prayer of a righteous person still and does and continues to be powerful and effective, maybe beyond imagination. One doctoral student was reported to ask of Albert Einstein, what is there left in the world for original dissertation research? And Einstein replied, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Back to verse 16, it is inescapable and I think it is clear teaching. Here's what James is saying. There is such a thing as the prayer of a righteous person, meaning there is relative righteousness. Relative righteousness in comparison to other people. Some are more righteous. There are more righteous persons. Therefore, their prayers are more effective and powerful. Now, we all instinctively believe this is true. We all instinctively believe in relative righteousness because when you have a prayer request, when it's very desperate or it's very significant, can I ask you, who do you go to to ask for prayer? Do you just randomly go to anyone? No, I would more or less guess you instinctively go to people whom you know regularly pray, are used to praying, And you can trust that they will pray for you when you ask them to pray for you. What is this? What does this mean? 
You know those who have a consistent, regular, vital prayer life, relative righteousness, versus some others that may, depending on the day, good or bad, may barely remember to pray for you. I want to tell you, for those of you throughout our church community, if your prayer lists are long and they're getting longer and longer and a lot of people seek you out, please take heart. Oh, rejoice. Rejoice. Do you know what kind of privilege you have to take names and requests and prayer because people do come to you and trust and believe that your prayers are powerful and effective. Just to give an analogy to explain this better. If a close friend comes to me one day and says, Harold, I really need this. I'm almost embarrassed to ask. I know it's a huge favor, but I really need this. But it's a close friend of mine. I know what I'll do. I'll try to do anything in my powers. I'll do anything that that person asks, as long as it's helpful. And then another person can come along and ask me the very same request, but it's not a very close friend of mine. In fact, this person's been very distant, maybe um, out of contact for so long, and maybe has hurt me in the past. What do you think my reaction will be? I don't think I'm going to be as prone to answer the, the, the request of the second person. You see, a friend loves on me. A friend has love for me. And the second person may be just out to use me. Maybe just out to use me. Now think about this. Every child of God, I'm talking about Christian people, is somewhere on this curve. Some people are just outright using and abusing and trying to take advantage of God. And God is so merciful and gracious that he still hears and answers those prayers. I'm not saying well, always with the yes, but he still hears and answers those prayers. And then there's someone, some of us who are really, really way up on the curve. You are regularly, regularly in conversation, communion, and loving God. You see, in God's own point of view, whose prayer request do you think God is going to answer more readily? Whose prayer did Jesus promise that his own Father in heaven would always answer with the yes? Oh, those who are loving God, those who are obeying the word of God, those who are learning to pray just like Jesus would pray if he were in your situation. <laughs> Otherwise, this is like child abuse. It is. It's like child abuse. So that the prolific author and pastor, the voice of our generation, Tim Keller says, it'd be like child abuse if God gave you everything you ever asked for in prayer. It's like a loaded gun, a fully loaded gun, or a genie in a bottle. But you're 10 years old. And a 10-year-old child will ask wrongly. A 10-year-old child will ask disastrously. If I saw a 10-year-old child with a loaded gun, I'm going to run and lunge at that child and try to take away the gun. In other words, I would ask the child, please don't pray. Please don't pray for me. And Keller goes on to say on this topic, on prayer, God will either give you what you ask or give what you should have asked for if you knew everything that God knows. Yes, God hears every prayer of any and every child of his, but he does not answer every prayer. Why does he not answer every prayer? Because he's better than the best of fathers. He is a father full of love. And because the father loves you, the father loves me. Thank God, many, many prayers we have prayed are answered with, wait, 
or no? So just as James teaches that there is a relative righteousness in comparison with other people, the Bible goes on to teach there's a total unrighteousness in comparison with God. <laughs> yeah, you can grade on a curve, if you will. You can feel a little better, more righteous than other people. And yes, your prayer life can be more effective and powerful, but in comparison to God, God who is objectively, totally Perfectly righteous. Question. Why would God hear any prayer at all? Why should God hear and answer any prayer at all? From someone who is imperfect or unrighteous. Oh, because you come to God and quote Elijah? You pray in the name of Elijah? Or do you come to God and pray in your own name? Now, James tells us how in verse 14, God hears and answers every prayer because it's in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, verse 14. His name is Jesus Christ. That is how James began this book. And James says, I have become his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our translation says, there is great effective working power from a relatively righteous person. Well, then by common sense and logic, a perfect person's prayers, a perfect person's prayers would work with perfect power. It would have perfect effectiveness. Remember when Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, knowing that Peter would end up betraying him in public three times, completely turning his back upon him. Jesus said this, Simon, Simon, and I love when Jesus repeats a name twice. It's full of affection and tenderness. I hope you can hear Jesus' voice in that way. That more often than not, that's the way he speaks to you and I, his children. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. That means Satan, the devil, wants to ruin and kill you. Demanded to take you out. Jesus goes on and says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you notice how Jesus does not say, if you turn again? There is no suggestion or hint that Peter might turn again. No, Jesus prophesied when. When? And how can this be the case? It's because the prayer life of Jesus never gets turned down. The perfect prayer of a perfectly righteous person is perfectly powerful and effective. can never be turned down. This is why I could never stray too far. This is why I could never lose my faith. This is why the hope will never run out. He will always recover. Bring me back. I could never stray too far. 
I cannot fall away for good. Because the perfect prayer of the perfectly righteous person for me works out perfectly. I cannot calculate how many prayers to this day hold me up. How many prayers people I know and don't know, brothers and sisters of mine, thicker than blood. Our church is bound by something thicker than blood, the very blood of Jesus. And because of these prayers, they preserve, they protect, they care for me. See, there's a timeless principle to prayer. Did you notice that the prayer of Jesus in the past affected the future of Peter? You see, the only reason Peter did not fall away after his betrayal, after committing the sin that he thought could not be forgiven, maybe he thought it was the unforgivable sin done three times. The only reason Peter did not fall away The only reason Jesus was certain, when you return, when you come back, you will become a pillar. You're going to strengthen the brothers of my church. You're going to become the rock. How did Jesus know this without a doubt? It was because of the preceding prayer of Jesus for Peter. The preceding prayer of Jesus. So we get to pray now. We get to pray now for protection later. You and I get to pray for our children for their salvation later. You and I get to pray right here today and it will directly affect, dent, change, preserve, strengthen people we love into the future. Is this not why Jesus taught us to pray? Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I know many people, rightfully so, are upset that the wealthiest nation in the world is woefully unprepared for a lot of things with the coronavirus. Mind you, though, nobody really could have imagined how grave this could be. Although there were warnings, but no one could really, really predict it could be this bad. Now, if you're upset by the lack of preparations, you know what Jesus is saying here? The lack of prayer, your poverty in your prayer life is a lack of preparation for future temptations and evil to come. Oh, let that sink in, my friend, please. A lack of prayer is a lack of preparation for temptations and evil that might otherwise overwhelm you and crush you, take you out for good. Recently, Pastor Min Chang, someone I look up to, known for quite a while, we worked together on the Solar Network. He shared at one of our council meetings, mourning the loss and the passing of Mrs. Kim. Mrs. Kim, you see her picture here. And there's Korean language, a description there. It says, Chipsanim. That just translated for deaconess, deaconess. She came from a very, very well-to-do family in Korea. Could have lived a comfortable life. Never got married. 30 years ago, for some reason, heard and saw Pastor Min preach, adopted him like a spiritual son. She's been with him ever since praying, praying. It's her number one full-time job, praying. Pastor Min attests that she fasted or skipped more meals than she ate in prayer. 
She prayed literally for thousands and thousands of people by name. I watched online as people were mourning at her funeral, including praying for my name ever since I met her in undergraduate college. Pastor Min says the effectiveness, sometimes the immediacy of her prayer was, was astounding. Just no other explanation for it. Prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it works. And he says it was her prayer life that is a secret of Covenant Fellowship Church over there in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. But even after her passing, they can take heart. They take great comfort that all the prayers that Mrs. Kim prayed on their behalf still has working effects and powers today. Pastor Min did break down when he described that right after her passing, he customarily goes into a room to turn off the lights and he would ask her, Mrs. Kim, do you want the lights off? But after death, of course, there was no response. There was silence. But his heart, his heart can rejoice that she has now woken up where the light never goes out. Revelation tells us that God is the light of the new heavens and the new earth. The lights will never go out. Now there is somebody whose prayer life is infinitely more powerful, effective, and is unceasing for you and for me. Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and they never stop. They never stop. Jesus is the great high priest who prays for things you should have prayed for. And he also prays for things better than the ways that you have asked or prayed for them before. Every single prayer that Jesus utters, every single prayer that he lifts on your behalf for you is answered and guaranteed. When he prays for your faith, hope and love to increase as he prays that you would take to heart all the teachings of James to have joy in trials and to be steadfast and endure through them. To look after the orphans and the widows, to have genuine compassion and energy for the most vulnerable in our society, to have self-control over our, our mouths and our hearts, to remain unstained from this world, to be impartial, not partial and biased, Jesus prays for your holiness. He prays for your happiness. He prays for your Christ-likeness and your overall well-being. These prayers, every single one, on Jesus Christ, on your behalf from Jesus Christ, answered and guaranteed. And it is he who can never lose one. Never one. Not even one can be lost. This is why Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The evil one cannot touch you. No, the evil one cannot touch you for long. The evil one cannot touch you for good. No, not if you belong to Jesus. Not if Jesus knows you and is praying for you by name. He prays only what is best for you. Jesus never prays for anything bad or evil against you. The perfect prayer of the perfect person is perfectly powerful and effective for you 
and for me. Hallelujah. Robert McShane, as he once observed, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Distance makes no difference this day, my friends. Jesus is praying for me. He's praying for you. We're praying for one another. We're praying for this world. Prayer cannot be stopped. It is powerful and effective and true because we pray in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And as we come to the close of James, we ask God that our faith, which you have given to us as a gift, will be put into action in all of its fruitful ways. A faith that sings, a faith that prays, a faith that looks and loves and serves the least of these. Oh God, would you heighten and increase our lives of prayer? We want to meet with you. We want to become more like you. And we want to be used by you so that your power and presence might go forth, be unleashed. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.